This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with Mark Vicente about covert narcissistic abuse, spiritual narcissism, the cult Nexium, and the experience of waking up. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. And on this special Q&A, we have Mark Vicente. And you might know him from the documentary The Vow, which is a docuseries on HBO. And that is about the cult Nexium. Or you might know him from his documentary, What the Bleep Do You Know? And... You know, Mark was kind enough to be on our show, and we will get to uh, Mark in just a second, in that interview in just a second, but I just want to go through, uh, you know, it's it's Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and we have our run for DV coming up in two days. It's October 30th at 8 p.m. Eastern, and I will be running, you could be running, you could be walking, people might be doing it in a wheelchair. It's, you know, you can do it any way you want. I'm running five kilometers, 3.1 miles. We're helping raise money for either a shelter, an agency, someone you know, or you're doing it to just raise awareness. I'm starting mine at the base of the CN Tower in Toronto. I'll be on TikTok here and there during my run to give you updates of what's going on. So join me that night from wherever you are, and we will help raise awareness for domestic violence. So, if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story podcast, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. Click that button. There's all these instructions and everything under the sun there for you to follow, and away we will go from there. And another thing at our website, NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, there's a button that says Community Support, and that goes to our very own safe social network. We have people on there posting in our forums. We have integrated Zoom support meetings every Wednesday and Saturday nights. 
We have episodes that never made it to air. Those are our bonus episodes. We have ad-free episodes on there. You can create your own events such as meditations, closure ceremonies. So if you want to come and get some support and make some friends too, please do come to NarcissistApocalypse.com and press that button at the top of the page to get some more support. Now, another way to get support is to go to DomesticShelters.org. So if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone. DomesticShelters.org offers an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you're experiencing, and they can connect you to local resources too, such as shelters, and find ways for you to heal and move forward. So please do go to DomesticShelters.org to access this free resource. Now it's uh, time for our show, but before we begin, the, I just want to clear up a couple of things here so you don't get completely lost. When Mark references Bonnie, Bonnie is his wife, and when he references something called DOS, uh, DOS stands for Dominus Obesque, uh, I can't even say it properly, Obest, uh, Obsequious, so Dominus Obsequious Sororium. And in, uh, that's a Latin phrase translated to Lord over the obedient female companions. And it was a specific sect within Nexium only for women. And it's where the women in this uh, cult, this organization, were abused. So that's just for everyone to clear that up when those things are referenced. And you'll be hearing in this episode that I have a co-host, and it is with Vienna, who everyone loves, who's been on the show, who's helped me a few times. And we uh, just it was just a great episode. We really go into depth on a lot of different things into our own psychology to the psychology of uh, of abusers. And I really want to thank uh, Mark for being on the show. And we're trying to help Mark at the same time get some people to be in his documentary that are different from the ones that he's already had. Everything will be in the show notes. And now I've been rambling at a crazy pace. I have, I have to learn how to slow down. Here is my episode with Mark. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. Today is a special episode. We have with us Mark Vicente. How are you? Fabulous. Excited to be here. Excited to chat. And I, and I said your name properly. You did. Very well. Oh, Thank you. Although whatever country, I mean, it, it changes, so whatever. Well, also with us today, we have Vienna, everyone. And you know Vienna from many of our episodes, and everyone uh, has loved uh, all of your episodes, Vienna. And Thanks. you actually are pretty much like our top 50 verbal abuse episode is uh, one of our biggest episodes so far. So uh, we're both going to be doing this interview with Mark today. And for those that don't know Mark, uh, Mark is a documentary filmmaker who made the surprise hit of 2004 called What the Bleep Do You Know with Marley Maitland? And it made $15 million at the box office. And for those that don't understand how big that is, you know, besides Michael Moore documentaries... Uh, fifteen million dollars is huge, and you know eventually your life took a turn. And unbeknownst to you, you were searching for a better understanding of you and others, and you joined an organization called Nexium, 
which you later found out to be a cult. And you can catch a glimpse of that and what you had to deal with on a docuseries called The Vow, which is on HBO. And within that context of being in that organization, a whole slew of introspection and questioning took place. And I am sure that is the understatement of a lifetime for you. And now you're here and it's 2021. And we're going to talk a little about your past. We're going to talk about your future and your present. And the one thing you have now is your experience and your experience, as many people know, is valuable because it's valuable to share. And anyone who listens to the show who has watched your series should have no problem seeing just how someone specifically like you could get trapped in a toxic relationship, be it intimate or work-related or spiritual. And that's what we're all doing here. And we're trying to educate ourselves to see the signs, patterns, or the red flags to prevent others from falling into these destructive patterns that ultimately end up harming ourselves and others. So uh, that's a long spiel. Marks, thank you so much for being here. And, you know, we're, I guess, going to get right into, um, you know, waking up, you know, we're going to go into the past and, you know, Vienna, if Vienna wants to kind of take over here, because this was what was most fascinating for you to watch. Uh, when you're watching the, the vow. So take it over with some of your questions here. Okay, sure. Uh, when I was watching the series, I immediately thought that I wanted to talk to you because it was the first time that I had seen the destruction of what a sociopathic narcissist can do happen in real time on camera. And, you know, a lot of victims of this type of abuse are so gasless at gaslit and twisted around and turned around that they never really unraveled the truth of what happened but you had it all on video so i wanted to know like how has being able to go back over and view the footage helpful for you in decoding exactly what happened well the two things. I mean, the, there's the, the vow itself. You know, it's it is completed form that I I have trouble watching. It, it tends to bring a lot of stuff back up. But as I was re-listening to recorded conversations, everything became these incredible clues to understand. It was sort of like reframing everything because there was the the moment things happened and the, the what I believed about the world and what I believed about him as he was saying things. And then as I was waking up, I would listen to those conversations and suddenly be like, wait, that's not, it was, that's not what was happening. This is what was happening because everything was being reframed. There was an amazing moment. Um, we were sort of living in this, in this apartment sort of hiding from, from them. And I had to call, uh, Ranieri because I was supposed to, you know, keep checking in a certain, you know, a certain amount of times per week kind of thing. And before I called him, and, and, and my wife said, you know, don't. And I said, I have to. And she said, okay, well, if you're going to call him, read this article first. And I read an article. I think it was, a, it was something about spiritual narcissism. I think it was written by um, Shahadi Arabi, if, if I have her name correct. Mm-hmm. I read the whole thing, and then I went and had a conversation with him. And in that conversation, I began to realize, oh, my God, he's doing all the tactics. 
So that was like what was happening in real time is the beginning to understand. But then in going, listening to those conversations for the next few years, you know, as, as the vow was being, was being created, it was a stunning mismatch for me. Like I would sometimes go, how did I, how did I think this was good? Or how did I think this was, how did I believe him? I kept on thinking to myself and I kept on realizing I believed in him because of my own frame, which was, which was goodness. Everything I was seeing the world through was, was, was this frame of goodness. You know, it's, it's not possible. I couldn't even imagine that he could be the person he actually is. And so when I finally realized who he is, it changed everything that I, that, that all the conversations we had changed everything in my mind, but the whole unraveling was so messy. It was, and I think other people may have experienced this when you finally realize like, Oh shit, I've been in this horrible, abusive relationship and what I've been sold is a lie. The, the I remember thinking to myself, like, I feel like I'm in the upside down, like from stranger things, like I'm in the upside down and I thought this was right way up. And suddenly I'm like, no, this is not right way up. This is upside down. I'm upside down and I'm inside out. And the process of waking up is not so much, you know, hey, presto, I figured everything out. It's more like, oh, shit, I'm inside out and upside down. And, and, and you realize that. And then, of course, that takes, that takes a good amount of time to unravel back to the, the so-called normal world. But it literally is like you wake up and you realize, oh, this is all darkness. Like, I thought this was all goodness. This is all darkness and horror. And it's interesting because one of the things I thought in the moment of, of it, wasn't a, it wasn't a single moment, but the, the moments of waking up was like, oh, now I understand why the vampire stories exist. Now I understand why these stories exist about eating of souls, you know, and eating of children and things like that, because they're metaphors for what people with these pathologies do to people. So it was, it was, it was messy and it was a, it was a big horror show. If that makes sense. And when it comes to the, you know, I guess pathology of Keith Raniere. So when it came to, you know, his pathology and your pathology, and I guess the pathology of everyone else that was there. I don't know if you've ever read uh, the book, The Human Magnet Syndrome. No. But The Human Magnet Syndrome is that, you know, for every person who is an abuser, there is the exact match for that. Your personality is a specific match to, to, to that person. Except what you were dealing with was someone who was kind of is beyond that level and was probably matching many different personalities. You know, Vienna had come up with like, we like to give the Enneagram to people to see like what types they are to kind of figure out their basic fears and desires. And that's a really good way for someone to look at and be like, okay, that's what I'm going to exploit. And Vienna's idea was that maybe a lot of these people were fours, you know, people that just wanted to, belong and so uh, w- when he 
you know, when we come to seeing like, oh, where, where, where are the red flags, you know, and I'm sure you dealt with a lot of people saying that, which becomes a very annoying question for people that don't understand mm-hmm. this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he was able to create a system from scratch, which borrowed upon other people's philosophies to make his own in a way where it kind of looked new, but it was really borrowing. And within that, you know, went to find people to that, that he was looking for to help him. And everyone might have had their own role. And he was matching what everyone needed. So, you know, when people talk about the human magnet syndrome, you know, it's usually this person fits with this. But you were dealing with someone who was trying to pluck all these people to fill all these specific roles for them and then keep them segregated. Mm-hmm. which is what they do. And so when it came to, to, to red flags, it's impossible to see because one, you are being told that everything you want to hear, which for you is music to your ears. This is what you've been looking for your whole entire life. But at the same time, uh, seeds are being planted very early on immediately to create the long con of, of everything. So for you, you know, what were, you know, from what you noticed, what were these kind of seeds that were being planted within the spiritual abuse that was going on for you that would have you not even look the other way in any sort of way, you know, because everything for the most part for you was, and we had a, an episode that came out today where it was 15 years before this person knew anything was, was wrong. And for you, your story is to me the same in, in that sense of like, there was nothing wrong here because nothing was happening specifically really with you or as far as I know. Um, so can you kind of go about like, I guess the tactics that were used to make you not look? Hmm. It's a very good and complex question. Let me go first to deal with an earlier part. Um, that organization ran like a, like the NSA or the CIA. Everything was compartmentalized. So it's true. Everybody was dealt with in a very separate way. Um, he exploited everybody's you know deepest yearning, and and the the problem was that the educational model. Very quickly, very early on in the first few days, wanted to find out what are your deepest yearnings and what are your greatest fears. I mean, day one already, they're trying to find out, you know, what, what, you know, what moves you, you know, eventually there, what would you, what would you die for? You know, what are those things that really are meaningful to you? Um, in, in the case of me, I mean, I remember he did ask me a lot of questions. Um, I mean, hours and hours and hours of questioning, which I, you know, I was like an open book. I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I got nothing to hide. I'm, I'll tell you. And what he was finding was a level of idealism that I had that was born from, I think, a lot of pain in, in my childhood and, and the things that I'd seen in South Africa and looking at the world thinking shit is really fucked up and there has to be a better way. And I had this idealism of wanting to change the world and something that I had thought about before, but he really drilled, drilled hard on is the only way to change the world is you have to change you. 
you know, don't worry about trying to change everything else, change you and, and the world will change. Now that idea is not, it's not a bad idea. It's a, it's a good idea. It's great. But what happens is as the years went on and every time I would say, look, there's this issue, there's that issue. I've come to him with problems I was seeing in the organization. That's when this sort of what I call codified gaslighting would happen. It was, it was baked into the education, which is basically stop focusing on the things in the external world, focus on your internal world and make those changes in the internal world, which basically amounted to in the end, you're the problem, not the external world. So nothing you're seeing out there is the, actually the problem. And I'd say, yep, you know what? They're both the problem. And he'd say, well, you got to focus on you. So he would leverage my idealism and my desire, A, to be a really noble and, and good human being. And that's, that's something that's been, been in me for a long time. You know, born from believing that I didn't have the goodness um, and, and, you know, born from a lot of pain. But he, he would leverage that desire of mine. And then what eventually would happen as the years went by... And this is when, when, when this whole crazy DOS thing started to happen was the idea that, you know, we had to be like, almost like Navy SEALs, like put aside your feelings, you know, and he's, I'm, I'm not saying I'm suppre- suppress your feelings, he'd say, but in actual fact, you, you are suppressing your feelings, put aside your feelings for a nobler purpose, for a nobler ideal. And that was eventually what, you know, gave, gave birth to DOS, where people began to believe that, well, you know, pain is love. He would say things like, your ability to, to, to endure pain is true love. You know, your ability to sacrifice yourself for the benefit of somebody else, for a principle, that's true love. You know, giving somebody an ice cream cone because they want something is not true love. It has to hurt. And if it hurts, that's love. So what he was trying to do is connect all these ideas. And, and it was. It was a long con. It took a long time. And he was, probably still is, although maybe he's not quite as happy as he was before. He always talked about practical jokes. He would play practical jokes on people for like months. And with me, he would do it sometimes as well. He would tease people about things for months. He would, he would put little clues and he would tell other people. He would triangulate. He'd, and he'd talk about playing these games. And then six months later, he'd let the person know, oh, it's all just a con. It's a ruse. It's a joke. It's a practical joke. And he talked about as well in, in his sort of selling model. And I think this is in the vow. He talked about these steps. You know, you can't get a person from like, you know, the first floor to the 10th floor quickly. You have to do it in steps. Lifts, he called it. So you have to slowly get them from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, and eventually you'll get them to the 10th floor. So this entire thing he'd been doing was this long con. And the problem with a long con is very hard to see, you know, because going from, 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 from zero to the first floor is like, it's not a big deal. Everything's not a big deal until it gets to the point, like it did with a number of us, like something's not right. You know, around 2017, yeah, end of 2016, beginning of 2017, I was saying things to him like, everybody's fucking miserable. And you're, you're saying like that we're trying to help people have breakthroughs. They're not having breakthroughs. They're just miserable. And he would say, yes, well, you know, it's, 
it's the dark night of the soul, yada, 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 you're in the desert, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like thinking, yeah, you know what? It's been too long in the desert. I'm sorry. I know all the stories about being in the desert. It's too long. There's something wrong, you know? And that's when he started to really mess with my head. But um, it eventually got so, so apparent that I was like, okay, something is dreadfully wrong. But he was very smart there. Because he would say things like, yeah, something is wrong. You know, there's these different issues in the organization. And the, and the last thing that I w- was thinking was like that he's the problem. I mean, I had w- at one time, I remember saying to him, there's a psychopath in the organization. I know it. I, I absolutely know it. I mean, everything is telling me there's a psychopath in the organization. And he'd say, well, like, who do you think the psychopath is? And I said, well, I don't know. I'm wondering if it's maybe Alison Mack. And he'd say, well... And he did something very, very clever, clever in a horrible way. He said, can I ask you a question? I go, sure. He says, do you, when you ask a question like that, do you, are you feeling the thing or calculating the thing? And I'm like, oh, that's such an interesting question. Oh, am I feeling the thing or calculating? And, and suddenly I'm off. <laughs> I'm off on some other thing. And my whole conversation as a psychopathic organization is gone mm-hmm. because the, the thing I love is exploration. I love it. Well, not as much anymore, but I loved it. To understand my process was fascinating. So every time I got close to an answer, he would ask me a question that would force me into sort of a recalibrating my own computer and defragging my hard drive internally, and I'd be like not focusing on what was happening outside anymore. It never occurred to me that he was the psychopath in the organization because he kept on alluding to other problems and other issues. And and as I said, you know, when I started this diatribe, like the NSA or the CIA or the whatever, you know, it's, it's, everything's on a need to know basis. So he'd allude to a problem in some division of the company related to some people. And he may use their name or may not use their name. And suddenly I'm thinking, that's true. There is a problem there, but like, I don't know, it's also related to this problem. So I would go to him with problems all the time. In other words, the, the flags were everywhere. I was like, I want to talk about this flag. I want to talk about this flag, this red flag, this red flag. And he keep keep on suggesting, well, it's because of this and because of that, because of this. And eventually, if that didn't work, then, you know, we'll look at your process, you know? So it was, it was a profoundly, it seemed, at first it seemed like a profoundly clever head fuck. Later, as I began to realize, no, this is just basic narcissistic abuse on a, on a big level. It's just basic stuff, but it seems so clever because I didn't think that way. You know, people have mm-hmm. said to me, well, why did you not see it? I said, cause I'm not a, I'm not a psychopath motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Like how am I supposed to think like a psychopath before I even understand that I'm dealing with a psychopath? And this is what would really get my, you know, get me upset. Like in, in, in essence, I was like the, in many ways, like the Boy Scout that was the useful idiot. I said this actually to, to you know, uh, Nancy Salzman sentencing. I said, you know, like I was the useful idiot, the person that was reaching for goodness, reaching for light, reaching for all those things. I was, I was perfect to be used that way. You know, I legitimized the, the, the quest, so to speak, you know, for, I wouldn't say purification, but the quest for, cleaning out the baggage so that you could you could be a better human being to to put more goodness in the world which honestly 
I think a lot of people want to be, but that was, that was a lot of my quest and he used it very, very well, you know? So you don't see these things because you're not walking around going like, huh? So he's a psychopath and blah, blah, blah. Now that comes later. That's the horror show. That's when you realize like 12 years of conversations I've been having with a lunatic who has this horrific pathology, who feels nothing. Maybe he feels a kind of thrill at like power. And there were interesting things like being somebody that had always been exploring spirituality so much. I remember thinking at one point, he's so even, he's so calm, you know? And this is the thing, people mistake that evenness for spiritual enlightenment. And sometimes it's just motherfuckers like, He's a psychopath. That's why he's even. That's why there's no ups and downs in that way. You know, and then later I would think back and realize, actually, he did get angry at that point. And actually, he did get angry and he did get needy there, you know, but you don't see it because the, the, way, the, the way this spy organization worked was every single spy is talking about the, how the head of the spy organization is the most amazing human being you've ever met in your life, you know? And so there is a, a, a social price that you will pay if you start questioning the head of the spy organization because a lot of people will start coming after you. You know, there's all these different, different things, which, again, it's so interesting because the, the, the whole idea of narcissism, when, it finally, when I finally sort of really started to explore it, because I understand they talked about narcissism in, in the educational model. Like the test we did at Every single intensive, which I thought was some, they called it some third-party test, was a narcissism test. You know, I didn't realize that until later. Later, I looked it up on the internet. I said, holy shit, that's the test we've been doing? But it was talked about all the time. You know, so-and-so is a narcissist, so-and-so is so-and-so and so-and-so. So it was talked about all the time, but it never occurred to me, oh, no, this dude here, this dude, Ranieri, is the, the, the covert narcissist. It, it never occurred to me until things just didn't make sense anymore, you know, and, and, and some of it was things weren't making sense anyway. But then when it was it was it was Bonnie that was like saying that thing right there, him, that's the one that doesn't make sense. And that was the thing that was so terrifying that I didn't want to look at. And to go back to your earlier thing about waking up, because the issue was I had embedded myself so, so, how can, it's not right. I was so enmeshed. My personality and his personality were so enmeshed, which is common with, you know, people that are in narcissistic abusive relationships, you know, or cults or whatever, that to question his goodness would mean I would have to question my goodness. Mm -hmm. And that was the terrifying thing. And so that was the day that I talked about in, in the vow that I was suicidal because to question him was literally I was heading for annihilation. When my whole life was being about, I want to be a good human being, now I was asking the question that would obliterate all goodness. Now, of course, that doesn't make sense. But, you know, in my body at that time, it, did make, it, it, it didn't make sense either, but it just felt that way. And so I was going towards annihilation. And so when I finally asked the question, what if he's not who I think he is? What if, this, what if he's a really bad human being? I couldn't even say like evil motherfucker at that point. I was just like a really bad human being. I had this like implosion 
and a complete and utter meltdown. And in that meltdown, I was thinking, I need to, I need to kill myself. I, I need this. This has to stop. And luckily, you know, I have an amazing wife. That's one really incredible thing. But but luckily, there was also a voice in my mind that said, "You've never ever had that thought before, ever. Something's wrong." Thank goodness that whatever, I don't know, super conscious, whatever you want to call it, that voice just said to me, you've never, you've never thought that ever, ever something's wrong. And that was the thing that then began to, to break open. And then I, then I began to allow myself to ask, you know, a whole bunch of questions. It's a very long answer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. So one of the the biggest things you said there, which resonates with a lot of our audience, is that you didn't know that that evil existed. You didn't mm. know that that is, was there, or at least you hear about it in the news. You've never encountered it in real life. It's not something you're looking for on a day-to-day. It's mm. just not there, and that's a massive thing when it comes to... Uh, this issue. The, the weird thing is when you said like, I hadn't seen that evil before. I didn't know that. I didn't know it existed. This was what's weird. I did know it existed. Like I had worked on a number of, you know, films. I'd seen some really bad things. And I, like I'd, I've been to prisons, prisons in Mexico and interviewed some really bad dudes who just had zero conscience and who did awful things to people. So I did know what I didn't know was that it could masquerade as goodness in that way that I didn't know. And that was what was so horrifically shocking is that somebody could be that evil and masquerade as a saint. And it was so profound, my upset about that, that something happened in 2017 where I began to think about all the mythologies that I'd ever read I thought about the Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, the this, the that. And I thought, you know what? What if all those motherfuckers were all evil? You know, what if Jesus was a sociopath? What if Buddha was a sociopath? What if Gandhi was just another sociopath? They just, they just had good PR teams. And I, this, I understand this may upset people, but understand this was my process. And I knew it was, it was a process, but I just thought, okay, you know what? Fuck them all. Fuck all of them. They're all assholes. I, I had to throw everything out because it had so poisoned my concept of goodness. I didn't even know what goodness was anymore because I thought I knew. 
until I woke up in the upside down. And then I thought, okay, I don't, I don't know what goodness is. In fact, all the people that, that I think are good, what if they're not? And it was interesting because then in the years that, that went on, you know, as, as people were arrested and as we were preparing for the trial, I still didn't know what goodness was. But what I did know, the only thing I knew going into the trial was this man is a bad man and he's hurt my friends and I'm going to make sure he can never do that again. That is the only thing I knew. I still didn't even understand what goodness was. It took literally, I mean, probably the beginning of this year for me to finally go like, ah, I think I know what it is. You know, it took a long time. So sorry. So what is it? It's the best I can come up with. And it, and it sort of happened, it happened, you know, it happened while I was, was in, in Portugal, just, you know, looking at the ocean. Cause I would do that a lot. Um, I experienced it as a connection, like a deep, deep abiding connection. I can't even use the word goodness, although it, it, it is that as well. That's an expression of it. It's sort of like, um, it's like a humming. It's like the humming of everything. And the humming of everything is when you feel it, it sort of, it makes you, you just break down and cry at, at just the beauty of it. It's so profound and so incredible. And I know people have words for it. You know, they have words like, you know, spirit or God or these different words. I don't, I don't know about any of those things anymore. I just know there's this humming. And in that humming, I was like, ah, oh, this is, Goodness is, 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 is a, a way to try and describe this thing that I'm feeling and experiencing right now. And that's kind of all I know. I, I don't understand God anymore. I don't understand um, spiritual growth anymore. I don't understand any of those things anymore. I just know an experience I had earlier in the year. And I was like, okay, this is, this is what it is. And that was sort of the, the beginning of rebuilding um, my experience of existence, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. You know, what's really interesting is um, you were talking about, just to go back a little bit, um, how looking at the person who who is ultimately your abuser, looking at Keith and the way that you needed to look at him meant your own self-annihilation. And I think that that's what a lot of people don't understand is when you're starting to pick up on the signs and starting to pick up on the clues and, and you're starting to think about what the hell is going on here. And you're starting to think about leaving and you're starting to talk to other people about everything. It doesn't have anything to do with, um, being embarrassed or, or, um, seeing somebody for who they really are and how that affects you. It it, it really is so internal. It's about everything that you've thought that has been distorted in this way. And it always comes back to you and about that self-preservation that no longer exists. I just thought that was really interesting that you picked up on that. Um, Hmm. Another thing is, so I had this theory that, you know, the psychopaths and narcissists, they always have kind of like this end game in mind when they're going through the motions, whether it's uh, to get married, to show my parents that I'm capable of love or whatever it is. And 
I was trying to figure out what Ranieri's goal was with all of this. Is, was it just for power? Was it just for control? Was it for uh, to enrich himself? And ultimately, what I what I came up with, and and I would love your take on this, is that he was so aware because he has this very high IQ, right? He's so aware of his own pathology and that he was different. And instead of trying to blend in with the crowd and and infiltrate that way. I was looking at this like he was actually trying to get the crowd to blend in with him. He was trying to teach other people how to be sociopathic and how to ignore their feelings and how to have that flat affect and how to move through life in this way so he didn't feel so lonely. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, there's so much to unpack in there. So it's interesting because, you know, on, on Apple TV now, Foundation is the Foundation series is running, and he would uh, he told me um, a number of times when I was still there that that he had read the Foundation series with a friend of his when he was very young, and that set him on this path to help human beings, in essence, you know, defragment their issues, you know, because he thought that psychohistory was so fascinating. So he lived, you know, he lived a lot in that sort of fantasy world as a kid, as, as, as many do. I, I think that he really believes that he is the answer to everything in the world, that his, his unique perspective is the answer. Now, people have asked me, like, is he aware that he is a malignant narcissist? covert, you know, sociopathic, whatever, whatever. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that there's a, or it's fragmented. Sometimes he is aware and sometimes he's not aware. But I do think that he is trying to get everybody to be like him, whether consciously or not consciously. And and the thing that, that finally occurred to me, I remember going through these question sets and these sort of how-tos, you know, how to be, how to behave, how to... And thinking to myself, why do we need to do all this? You just feel it. You don't need, uh, you don't need like 53 questions to ask yourself when you're facing an ethical dilemma. Just feel. The, you feel it and then you know what to do. And eventually I realized, oh, you need it. Because at some point, this guy realized he had to do something to get... To, to, to create clear, good impulse control. And these people do respond to punishment. And I think what he did is he came up with, how can I put a system, a framework in that I punish myself if I step out of line? Because if I step out of line, people will know exactly how different I am. Because he would allude to like having this unique, different way of seeing things, blah, blah, blah. The entire education is an education to teach psychopaths how to behave like human beings. That's what I finally realized. And by the way, which is why people that are still loyal are still so trapped in, in behavior that is honestly seems to really lack conscience and, 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 and gut understanding. And it was mm -hmm. to, it, it, he eradicated gut instinct because I don't think he has a lot of gut instinct. He has to calculate everything. So he sort of eradicated it out of the, the educational model. Now, 
counter argument. He seemed to to be aware enough that he was so different. Like one of the things I found out, you know, there's there's a moment in the vow towards the very end. I, I don't remember it's episode eight or nine or whatever it is. It's the one where I'm having a complete and utter meltdown. Mm-hmm. And I'm having a complete and utter meltdown because I find this document that he pitched to me 10 years before about, you know, this really good guy who's working in this organization and, and he's got a mentor who's like a Jesus character and, and they're talking and the guy says, I think there's a psychopath in the organization and blah, blah, blah. And it turns out the mentor is the psychopath. 10 years before he pitched that to me. Now, did he know that that was him? Was that his joke? Was that his, his, his fantastic 10-year joke? That I am a psychopath and I know I'm a psychopath? Yes, maybe. But I do think that he thinks that his psychopathy, which he probably wouldn't call it psychopathy, is just a, a unique and more brilliant way to see reality than what we use. That he's got the whole thing figured out. Like he's still doing his stupid shit in prison. I mean, he's still in solitary confinement because he keeps on screwing up. Because he thinks he's smarter than everybody else, you know? So it's weird. I mean, I sometimes I think he maybe flip-flops. Um, he's not as brilliant and sane as I thought he was. Because I remember my first exit counselor in 2017, I said, this guy's brilliant. And she says, stop, stop it. Stop saying that. He's not. It's, it's sort of like a spell. You think he's brilliant. He's not. And then as the, as the months went by, I realized, oh, he's not. He's not at all. He's got a, he's got a mind that sort of can break things down into small, small little, little parts. But there's so much word salad in there that, that when you're in, you think the word salad is brilliant. Now, is he strategic? Oh, yes. This man is strategic. I mean, he can hold thousands of lies in his head and remember who he lied to and, you know, who he didn't tell and did tell. I mean, until it starts, it started to fall apart at the end, but he could hold thousands of lies, you know, which the really good, and I say that in quotes, the really good malignant narcissists can, and the sloppy ones can't, you know, the the, the ones that are not self-aware of that they're different somehow, they're just, you know, they can be very impulsive. The ones that are, that are kind of aware that they're very different, they can hold a lot of lies in their in their you know mind. And for everyone listening, you know w- what you're describing is cognitive empathy, where yes. it's uh, empathy that's not coming from your body. It's a learned empathy, and obviously, it's for Keith. It was used for evil evil purposes. He could have used his platform. That's that's the the, the one thing about the you know, where you were, it could have been used for good. Mm -hmm. And like in, in a way, like the idea of everything, um, you know, for people to be more enlightened about themselves. I mean, it's self help. It's it's a whole industry and you have a lot of people that buy in into it. You could, you could have used that platform for, for, for good. And, and he chose the other way. And, and so, you know, your, when your point is really, your point is really good because he did have a lot of cognitive empathy. Um, 
and he could talk about it a lot. But it was a, it was a very intellectual understanding. And actually, Vienna, just to go back to you know what you were saying, is sort of was he aware that he was a psychopath? Yes and no. I th- I think this is this is what I think. I think that he would have thought that the world misunderstands it. Mm-hmm. It is an elevated spiritual understanding beyond good and evil that the world sees as, you know, psychopathy, but it's so far beyond human terms is I think the kind of the way his mind mind worked. Because I think if you said to him, do you think you're evil? He would be like, no, not at all. Cause he came up. Well, with- he was rationalizing yes, everything. Totally. Totally. Yeah. 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 And minimizing his, the harm he was doing also. Yes. Yes. I have, I have a million questions. <laughs> I don't think we'll ever get them answered. But one question that I did have is, am I right that, uh, he, did you find Keith or did Keith find you? Uh, Nancy Salzman and Barbara Boucher found me. Um, okay. Yeah. So he found you in a sense. And that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, you know, there's like so much, there's so much shame that can be attached to the opposite, the, the, uh, the other end of these relationships. When you come out, you have so much shame Yeah. And, and it's not, and it's not justified in any way, but especially when you realize that, you know, these people, they seek people like you and I and, and Brandon out. They, they intuitively know that you are something that they need, like your empathy, your need to do good in this world is, was something that he needed. So he targeted you in a sense, right? Yeah. In fact, I heard later from, um, Susan Dones who'd affected, you know, many years earlier, um, Susan told me, cause we finally reconnected, you know, in 2017 and have been uh, very close since she said to me that there were meetings that were happening about me. The old upper ranks and him were talking about me and about how to get me. Mm-hmm. And she said to me in 2017, you did not stand a chance. There yeah. were multiple minds reading everything you'd written, listening to every radio show, trying to figure you out. We knew exactly who you were and what you wanted. You didn't stand a chance. Yeah. So there's, um, there's a lot of, uh, in the series itself, there's a lot of Enneagram talk. Mm. I don't know if you realized it was Enneagram talk, I like this, know. this idea of being, being integrated is, mm. a, is a big Enneagram mm. thing. And your, we had you take the Enneagram yeah, yeah, test because yeah. we were It was fascinating. It. it was fascinating. It was a long, uh, can I tell you, first of all, I was like totally triggered. Cause I was like, oh my God, this is like that damn question we did. Like, you know, well, that 20 was times the thing, a year. Is we were, Right. We were like, this guy is just using the Enneagram to get inside of people's minds. And your type, your type is... um, Reformer. It's called the reformer, Mm. but more specifically, I think you're uh, one with the two wing, which is the advocate. Mm. Or on the flip side, it's the idealist. So he he knew right away that you had these ideals. Right, right. And that that, um, your basic fear is of being corrupt or evil. He knew that. Terrible fear. And your basic desire is to be good and to have integrity. Yep. So yep. To be, you can't, you, it's, it's, the um, problem is a person like me, if before we're educated about this, we're an easy mark. That's right. the thing. We're easy. Once, once we're educated, 
which is you know my quest now is to is to not only continue educating myself but help help to educate other people once you understand what you're looking at it's it's not easy but before you understand what you're looking at it, it, the idealist it, it's such an easy mark such an easy target you're right and when you were in the process of unraveling everything uh you know part of your healing process was probably at first was just you know you know it's let's get everyone out you know that's mm-hmm. the kind of the the first thing that you you're not even dealing with you yet i mean yeah. you you were uh, just yeah. like let's let's get everyone out here and yeah. in the process you have learned so much you know not just from your experience but then you had to go and do research about everything that happened i'm sure you like looked up every little thing like everyone has been on our show before they no stone was unturned here yeah no it's true and i found that people everybody i've met who's who's experienced narcissistic abuse they they become you know I mean, you become an expert. You, you investigate everything. You, you try to understand every single thing. And it's been amazing in some ways um, because as I learned, you know, read more and more books, you know, about, about cults, about course of control, about narcissism, about all, you know, different things. And I met a lot of amazing people. Um, I could start to make more and more sense of what happened because the, 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 the burning question at first is how the hell did this happen? You know? And everybody comes up with, you know, simple, stupid answers, you know, well, you're weak. Okay, great. That's an answer. What do I do with that? Okay. I'm weak. Everyone's weak. So what does that mean that psychopaths are strong? Of course I got very angry at a lot of people, but, but now that I understand more and I'm, there's so much more to understand, you know, and there's so much more, um, you know, personal work and, and investigation that that's still going on because as you said, for many years, I couldn't really attend to, to myself. I had to just, we're just fighting, you know, once, once the, the trial was over, then it was like, okay, so now I can start paying attention to me. And I was a mess. I was a, just a mess. I was just obliterated and drained. Um, and then it took some, some time, but, but I, then I began thinking, I want people to understand um, how this works and the same sort of compulsion, perhaps, you know, what the bleep was a compulsion to get ideas out of those weird little bookstores into the mainstream. You know, those of us that made the film, we had this feeling of like, there's so many interesting ideas. It would be great to get it out in the mainstream. And now I have this compulsion to, to see how can I help people, um, understand these patterns so that they don't feel quite so a crazy and alone and upside down. And of course it's uncomfortable because, you know, what happens is when they realize what's, what, where, you know, what they're involved in, you know, be it an organization or be it, you know, an abusive relationship at first, it's horrible, but it's way better to realize it and wake up than to stay there forever. So that's sort of become my, my compulsion now. So you have a project that is in the making. Yeah. Are you able to discuss, I guess, the details of, because I know you have on your website, you have, you know, uh, blogs where you kind of go into details of a lot of different 
uh, things on this subject. And you've made, I think, two, uh, I don't know how long the, do- I've looked for the documentaries, the two on, on, on narcissism, or they might have been shorter. They're in um, process right now. Yeah, and, and now you're making this long form either documentary or, or docu series. Can you kind of just go into the, yeah. the details of how you're going to be attacking it? Yeah. So basically, you know, um, this compulsion I had was like I, I need to make a film. You know, that's what I need to do. So, you know, I partnered up with some amazing producers who have all been through this as well, and we decided, okay, what we're going to try and do is is help people see the, the patterns of how these things work, because the issue is. What I see happen is somebody, you know, they look at a cult and they go, okay, well, that's different than an abusive relationship. And I'm like, no, it's not. Or they see a political leader that is, you know, authoritarian and, and you know, narcissistic. And they go, well, it's, it's that leader. No, it's not that leader. It's many, many leaders. You know, this shows up in many, many areas. So one of the things we're trying to do by interviewing a lot of really amazing subjects that have been through all kinds of things and a, a number of experts who have also been through these things is help map out, you know, hopefully in this entertaining way, how these patterns of abuse work. Because as you well know, the DSM talks about, you know, NPD, it doesn't talk about narcissistic abuse. And that is a huge thing. And there are so many people that walk around feeling so broken and so crazy and feeling so responsible for things that have happened in relationships, in work, in churches, whatever, that don't understand what they've been involved in. And if they do, and if they could, I truly believe they could find themselves, they could get themselves back. Because I do think that inside there, no matter how much abuse there is still, that person's still there. They just need to be shown how to get back out. So the the documentary that we're currently in process, we, we, we've started shooting, um, We've been shooting in the U.S. We're going to be shooting in, 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 in Europe uh, this month and next month and you know, back in the U.S. We're going out finding as many stories as we possibly can. And we're looking for stories of people. You know, of course, there's a lot of romantic abuse, a ton. You know, we're looking for stories also family, family narcissistic abuse, you know, uh, organizational, you know, be it, you know, I don't know, MLMs, you know, companies, you know, churches, whatever you know, political, uh, narcissistic abuse, which sort of operates like a cult. And of course I could say that all of these things are like cults and all of these things are, are, you know, forms of narcissistic abuse as well as coercive control. Um, and the, the idea is that we want people to look at this, this documentary and go like, Oh, that's what happened because there's nothing quite like seeing somebody. And yes, it's hell at first, but seeing somebody go like, my God, this makes sense now. That's why we all have read all these books and, you know, watched all these YouTube videos. So that's the, the experience that we want people to have. And then we also want to look at a number of other things in this documentary as well, which is, you know, this, this terrible fear of acknowledging this kind of evil. It's, 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 it's what makes people that are enablers around the abuse um, basically enable the abuser is this refusal to look at the fact that these things do exist. Because it's so terrifying. And we're looking at things like, you know, um, betrayal blindness, you know, that was coined by um, Jennifer Freyd. You know, the whole idea that the reason that you don't want to look at the actual betrayal, you get angry at the whistleblowers. You get angry at the person trying to help you because if you look at the actual abuse, it's so destabilizing 
that it feels like you're going to, you're going to end. You're, you're all over. And to, to help people understand, you know, what these things are and the different strategies that, that, that malignant narcissists use. And then of course there's the, the good news. You know, there is good news. There is a, there is a finding of self that I've heard many people talk about. And I myself am beginning to find that as well now. And two years ago, I, I was like, no, just screw them all. You know, this is horrible, blah, blah, blah. Now I'm like, oh, there's actually something wonderful that happens. There is a kind of self-definition that happens. And that is also important for people to know. So, you know, the documentary, you know, currently in its current form, it's a documentary. Who knows? It might turn into a series. We're not sure yet. You know, it depends because as we get more and more amazing stories and people share more of themselves, it may, it may become longer form. And then I also want to do, you know, look at, you know, a course of control, look at where the law's at and that kind of thing. Um, you know, trauma bonding, which is a, which is a hugely important thing to understand, you know, which really helps people understand, well, why didn't you leave? Well, there's trauma bonding, you know, AKA Stockholm syndrome, things like that. So that's what we're working on. And, and the thing we're really looking for is we are looking for people that are willing to, to share their stories. It's been really interesting. We have an enormous number of women that have come forward to talk and very few men, which has been really interesting. And I've been talking to a few of my male friends who have been through this. And I'm like, what, what is it? And I, and they sort of say, well, I think we're just, we're just so embarrassed that this happened to us, you know? And I was thinking that's so interesting because it seems to me that women are, are more able to talk about these things, perhaps because they're more emotionally connected and perhaps because women can process emotions better than us guys. But that is something that we're also looking for is, is, is men that will come out and actually talk about some of the abuse that they've been through. Um, so we're open right now to, you know, I, I have this, this link on my website, um, which is sort of an intake form, which anybody, you know, listening to your show can, can, can fill out if they want to, you know. Um, I think it's markvicente.com forward slash your story, I think is the, 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 uh, the link. But we'd love to hear from people because I believe that the people that are doing all the bad shit in the world are the people with these kinds of pathologies, you know, and we can go and try to feed the, feed the homeless and do this and do that and save that fish. And, and this, that's all good stuff. It's amazing stuff. But this thing is, it keeps happening because these people work their way to the very top of the food chain and they're the ones making all the decisions. And unfortunately in our society right now, People look at people in power and think like, oh my God, they're taking care of me. They know what's going on. And there's, and you see politicians are unmasked. There was a politician, you know, I'm not going to name him. There was a politician in, in New York, you know, who during the pandemic was there every day on television and everybody felt like, my God, this, this, this man has our back, you know? And meanwhile, we knew the things that were going on behind the scenes. You know, there were women that were speaking out about the things that were going on and, we realize that this is not a good human being, but this is a person who's, you know, come across as, as, as an authority. And so everybody believed in this person. And now they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe that they did these things and et cetera, et cetera. So, so the, the, the covert narcissism is such a huge issue in our world. And it's not to say that we want people to tear every single leader down, but if at least they can understand what they're looking at, they can maybe see the signs and maybe not give some of these people that much power. Because these very powerful people are the ones that are putting you know, into place all these different world policies that are sometimes not good for people. I mean, the, 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 the sort of 
you know, corporate abuse that happens and, and, and then the resulting poverty that people are experiencing is horrific. And usually the people that are making those decisions are people with no empathy because they don't care. Why would they? It's all just chess to them. So I'm hoping that we can also map out the narcissistic abuse at these different scales so that when people, you know, are finished watching the film, they're armed with like a framework of like, okay, cool. This is kind of like, I've seen this before. Maybe I've experienced it before. That's something that was really cool with the vow. I mean, and the vow, yes, the vow is, is such a traumatic thing to watch. Um, never mind, you know, being in it. But I, so many people after the vow said, oh my God, I realized that I've been in, involved in something just like this. Or I was involved in just something like this, and I've been blaming myself all these years because I didn't realize what was going on. And I think that people are so entrapped, and my, and my hope is, and you know, all of us making this film, our hope is that we can help free people to see what's actually going on. And not that this will be the answer to everything. I think that these beautiful alliances that we could create, you know, making a film like this with you know, people like yourselves doing podcasts like this and a lot of other people working in the space, if we create these alliances that we can help people once they have the, the horrific realization, you know, they need a place to go. And I've noticed actually on your website, you have these, these different resources, which I think is very important. Well, one of the things you said there was, you know, why do people stay? And mm. there was a documentary from years ago, which was called Dirty John. And then a series was made, which was, not, you know, different from, from the documentary. And I remember I was reading the reviews after. A very entertaining documentary. And it was about these women that were swindled. And all their life savings were taken. And the reviews after really got me mad. It was like, why did these, like, why did these people stay? What was going on? And that's when I realized that what this documentary didn't do was actually explain the whole psychology of everything. They didn't go into those details, the nitty gritty of everything for people to shut up and say like, okay, I get it. I understand there, that process wasn't in there. And that's what was taking it from being entertaining to being unbelievable. Like if you're able to mm. provide that, uh, both aspects of that and still make it something entertaining. Mm. And when it came to this show, you know, my, you know, part of the mandate or most of the mandate of the show is to, if someone was to listen to it, who wasn't in it, for them to say, I get it. And that's what you're doing. And it's one of those things where, you know, you want to punch people some days because of the, and you understand because of the questions you've received from people who you're explaining it to them mm -hmm. and you're explaining it and you think you're explaining it where it's like, this makes a hundred percent sense. Like mm -hmm. what I'm telling you yeah, like, why aren't you connecting the dots in the same way that I have? Like, mm -hmm. what don't you get from what I've told you? And yeah, sometimes things have to be mapped out for people in a way that goes beyond, you know, a scope that you thought possible. They just mentally can't get there. And you're about to embark on a project to, to do that. And it's, 
uh, you yeah. know, one of those That's, things that is that is needed because it's not just needed for us. It's needed to be in school, you know, right? Um, which is right. a, a big thing because, you know, if someone doesn't know this exists or doesn't know that their family is a little bit dysfunctional, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what is because when you're growing up, you have no sense of of what is right and what is wrong. This is your normal. Right. And kind of things grow from there. Your belief systems grow from there and who you are. It grows from there. And, you know, as I say a lot of time on the show, sometimes it's the most innocent belief in the world that might carry you through, which Mm. is like an innocent belief would be um, something along the lines of relationships take work. Right. And before you know it, you have, you know, relationships take work. I'm in this relationship. I'm relationships take work. And then all of a sudden all the claws are in you and you're in so far deep. You don't even know, as you said, you're in the upside down and your insides are are out and you have no idea what has gone on. And at that point, you know, things aren't right, but you don't know how to unwind, unravel those types of things. So with, with your project, you know, trying to tackle that kind of that issue. Is there a way that you're, I guess you're going to try and map things out in a way to make it, um, I guess. Understandable and digestible. Yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, we, we you know, we, cause we also just to go back to, to, you know, why didn't you leave in trauma bonding? You know, we want to map out the, the biochemical basis for trauma bonding. So that people actually understand, oh, this is actually like, this is a biochemical thing that happens. This is an, an, an addictive cycle that actually the, the abuser sets up and they actually, sometimes they know they're doing it. Um, but, you know, I'm always fascinated in, in, in terms of filmmaking, like different ways, like what's the best way to do something? Like if I look at what, you know, what the bleep like at first, you know, it was talking heads and they were like, oh, that's just boring. We need to like... We need to like do animation too. We're going to do animation. And then it was like, okay, but you know, you need like some emotional through lines. So let's just add a narrative thing as well. You know, that's, that's when the whole Marty Matlin thing happened. And so in terms of this film that we're working on right now, you know, we're going to use every trick in the book to figure out how do we get people to, to understand it um, in a way that's not too heady in a way that they can experience. And of course, and that's why, again, I, you know, I, I want to reach out to your audience and anybody who wants to, to share their story, stories are really where you really start to understand it. You know, if you start to see different people in different situations talking about the same thing, you know, they say, say things like, well, he came on really strong and he came on really strong. And after like seven people are like, Oh my God, there, there, that's okay. That's love bombing. Okay. And then this happened. Oh, there's the devaluation, you know, they start to see see the patterns more and more. And then just to go back to something you said that's so interesting, I, I, I used to get so angry at people when they said things like, well, you seem like an intelligent guy. What the fuck's your problem? And in the end, what I decided, I wouldn't do this in the film, but in the end, what I decided to say to them is like, instead of trying to figure out like how you, how you would never have done it, why don't you try to figure out how you might have, you know? Because there's so many different reasons. I mean, I think of, I think of, you know, situations where where women are in an abusive relationship with a guy, and you know, who's the the narcissist, and let's say she just thinks that there's a way to heal him, and this is something a lot of women talk about. There is a way to heal this guy, and they don't know that he's unhealable because his brain just doesn't have the the requisite stuff in it. 
it's not firing in those areas. You know, the empathy network is, is, is dormant. And they stay because they feel like they'll be a failure if they don't heal this person, which is really very, very beautiful. And of course, it's misguided, but it's very, very beautiful because in their world of goodness and healing, it's, it's understandable why they stay, you know. And even after the man is, is abusive and does these horrific things and everybody else is like, well, why don't you leave? And, you know, she might say, because I know who's in there. It's the saddest, the saddest thing in the world. At the same time, it's so, it's so understandable to me. And the thing that I really would love for people to do is instead of trying to figure out like, well, I would never do that. Try to understand like why you might Try to find the commonality in somebody's story, you know, as opposed to keeping yourself separate from it. I mean, I really have spent a lot of time in the last few years finally maybe understanding in myself, because I, I also was the kind of person that would think like, well, why doesn't she just leave him? And then I had my, my, my breakdown, my meltdown, my wake up. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry I said that. Because now I understand you know, and people would say, well, I don't understand a cult. And I go, well, do you understand a romantic relationship with, you know, narcissistic abuse? They go, yes. I say, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's just more, more people being controlled. And so that is, you know, that's, that's part of what, what we really want people to understand is when they look at things, you know, if they see the pattern, they go like, oh, this is that pattern with a thousand people. This is that pattern with, you know, a million people. Because I do believe that that knowledge is not ju- is not just an intellectual thing. It's a deep grokking that people have when they finally see it, and I do believe it will help them going forward. Are you going to call your documentary "Patterns of Abuse"? You know, it's funny. Thank you for that. I, we are taking. We're still taking uh, title ideas. Um, I, I, well, I I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm saying that because. You know, I called like, originally. This was called "How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse," and we changed it to "Narcissist Apocalypse." Narcissist Apocalypse yeah. And yeah. obviously, we keep that in there, or I keep that in there, because um, pe- that's what people are searching. You know, they're, yeah. they're looking for that term, and it's easier term, to right. get found. But right. in a perfect world, if there was no Google, there was no searching. You know, patterns of abuse would be the name I would choose for the hmm. show. I will throw that into the hat. I will throw that in. Thank you. It's it's funny, you know, um, films are interesting because sometimes you, you start with a title and it sticks and sometimes you have like a working title and then you somewhere during the making of the film, somebody says something. It could be like, you know, this, this conversation here and you suddenly go, oh, you know what? That one. And then we try, we try titles out with different people. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And they go, yes, that's the one, you know? I'm writing that down. Patterns of abuse. Because I, I, people who listen to the show know that I, I love movies, and I think in, in in movies a lot, or shows that that I see. And, you know, when I think of what you're kind of doing, if people have watched the show within the last year, or the last two years, or whenever it came out, which was uh, the Queen's Gambit. And, you know, yeah. people really never understood uh, chess really before they watched that, and people actually like, oh, I understand how chess works now. Yes. And, you know, you're kind of taking that. But when I think of uh, patterns in what you're doing and what you want to show people, you know, what she learned in the movie, she didn't learn how to play chess. She learned 
patterns and she was mm-hmm. able to recall them visually in her head. Right. And being like, oh, boom, done. Now I'm going to make my move. And right. I know how to counter that. And, you know, you're trying to do, I guess, this, really the same thing exactly. in the sense of like, okay, that pattern was there. I can recall what I just saw. And you're, you know, you're creating an entertaining uh, version of it, but it's also uh, something that will be, a, a, it will be part of people's lives. And, right. so, uh, right. on the, you know, this is, you know, that's the difference making here of, of what you're doing. You're making a piece of entertainment, but you're actually changing someone's life in the process and giving them skills yes. uh, that they didn't have before. Yes. No, exactly. And, and also like, like shows like yours, because I've, I think I've listened to, I think two of them, but I was looking through the list of things and I was thinking it's so interesting because in every one of these episodes that you have, in essence, you're talking about the same thing. You're talking about the the, the same patterns and people being able to hear it again and again and again, I do think is very helpful. So, you know, you have a podcast, you know, we, we're wanting to do the same thing, you know, with a film and yes, there's, you know, interesting challenges like how do you make it entertaining? How do you make it digestible? How do you make it understandable? You know, how do you really have people uh, take in the idea that these people do exist in a way that doesn't frighten them, you know? Because we know we, we all have friends who they're on the precipice of realizing what they're involved in, and it's a very very scary. It is a very very scary thing for them, you know. And one has to be gentle and careful. Vienna, do you have any uh, questions? No, no questions. I I think um, I think the the hard part about bringing this kind of thing into other people's conscious awareness when they haven't experienced it, it's, it's tricky and it's difficult. And that's, you were talking earlier about how you're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel or the bright side of going through something like this. And that, that for me is the bright side. It's, it's the, the growing of your consciousness to have something like this in your awareness is something that's rare that a lot of people don't understand. And it's, it's this like expansion of your mind. Right. And it's hard to, um, it's hard to awaken people who haven't had direct experience with it, but I think it is possible. It's true. It's true. And, you know, in terms of the, the, the awakening part, I, I just, I'll speak in, I guess, more spiritual terms for a second. This thing that happened I won't speak for other people that went through this thing with us. I'll speak for myself. This thing that happened was the best thing that could have ever have happened to me. It's mm-hmm. the best thing that could have happened to me because if I, if I take a, you know, a million mile view of my, my life and myself and I see this guy, Mark, you know, and he's somewhere in his life very early on, Mark decides that he thinks goodness is beautiful, but he doesn't have it. But other people do. And if he just finds the person or the people that have it, they can teach him how to have it. And this is, you know, his quest. And that's a problem because, you know, his whole life, he always needs an intermediary between himself and his own goodness because the only reason he knows what he's looking for is because it's there already humming inside. So what's the best way to free somebody like him? Well, the best way to free somebody like him is to take a situation where he believes so deeply in the goodness of, of these people that he's learning from and completely break, break it 
so that it breaks that entire thing. It breaks him. And in the moment in that the moment that happens, he then rejects all goodness. He's not actually rejecting goodness, he's rejecting the illusion. And in that emptiness, the nothing, you know, the the, the dark night of the soul, um, he has an opportunity to finally figure out like, well, what is it? And he, and you know, he could finally say, It's the thing that I've been projecting out on everybody else that's mine. Now, what more beautiful you know, thing to happen than for me to finally go like, oh, this thing I've been projecting on everybody else is me. Holy shit. That's beautiful. So I don't know. I mean, maybe there were other ways. I don't know. The the universe is complex, but I mean, I can certainly look at it and go, it's actually a pretty amazing way to make me finally give up my illusion of thinking that my projection of goodness is somehow uh, real. You know, that that thing I'm projecting it on those, those, those people, those groups, those organizations, that somehow they have it, that that's not true. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I have no idea. But I'm the one projecting, you know. So It's coming from inside of me. It's coming from inside of me. Yeah. I just, I just right. never occurred to me. It never occurred to me that oh, it's the light shining out of me. It's not like somehow, oh, I see it there, so let me go chase it. Because my whole life has been, you know, has been chasing glimmers um, of something that I that I was yearning for so desperately. It never occurred to me, even though people said to me, it's all inside you. I go, yeah, 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 it's inside me. What else? Tell me what else, you know? You know? So I don't know. It's, it's the best, the best and most profound heartbreak that could have ever happened in my life. You know, I'm not saying I recommend it. It's, it's horrific, but for me getting to where I am now, I'm like, this is quite amazing. This is like a whole new life. And it's something interesting, you know, Vienna, I think you said it on, on, on the podcast about um, Dark Night of the Soul, you know, how that kind of depression is different from, you know, normal so-called depression, you know, which is the Dark Night of the Soul kind of depression is like you're a different person when you transition out of that desert, so to speak. You're not the same. And although, yes, a lot of my essence is I see the world very, very differently now. And it's a beautiful gift. And I think part of me, and this has always been there, I want, when I have breakthroughs, I think to myself, I, I would love people to have an experience of this, you know? I, I think. I mean, I, I think it's a good experience. It's been a good experience for me. I would love people to find the beginning of some of that, you know, personal freedom. When I had my own experience when I was getting myself off the couch, let's say after my dark night of the soul and I got myself outside doing things and I was, I was running a lot. It's hard to explain to someone the, the difference, especially right at the beginning of it, of how I walked around and how different things were. And in the strangest way, I felt more connected to the world and that I was a really a cog in this uh, machine uh, and the machine being earth and Hmm. that Hmm. I walked differently after I walked a little bit taller and I walked a little bit taller because I was really, um, 
really observant as far as, you know, this person is no better than me and there's no better than me and we're all just here. And what is my role here? Like what is all of our, our roles here? Mm-hmm. And one of those things you can say or, or do is like, well, like as far as who am I or, or what am I doing here? Just do good and, you know, try and have that be part of your day. Other people might, and you, you know, sometimes I walk around being like other people might not be having these thoughts that I'm having. Other people might not be as I say, like we're in the, all in the matrix and mm-hmm. uh, some people are asleep in the matrix. And then some people are a little bit more, awake or at least we like to think that we're awake right. and to, you know, walk around being, okay, I'm aware of all of these things and I'm just going to do my best. There's a point for me where it was, you know, I, I did whatever therapy I did. Now it's time to take what I've learned and, you know, go out there. And make the mistakes that you need to mistakes make the make the mistakes you need to make. That's the only mm-hmm. way you're going to learn, and that the mistakes that you went through, and they're not necessarily mistakes, but the experience that you went through and the collapse of everything, is the beginning of something new. It's the beginning of of your growth, and there's no shame or uh, at all in, in anything. And it's in fact, as as you say, it's actually. Uh, the way you went through it was terrible. A lot of other people can go through it without going through what you went through. Right, right. But at the same time, it's just one of those things where you do see the world in a different way, and it's hard to explain to someone what that is. It's it's just it, it can't be put into words. You have to feel it. Right. And it's something that most people you, you can't do until it happens to you. And I went off on my own tangent there. I don't know even how, how I no, that no. I actually, I think it's beautiful. I, I was thinking as well, you know, one of the things for me is I had so much certainty, you know, in, 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 in sort of cult-like thinking. And I've been involved in so many weird things in my life, you know, and I had so much certainty. Now I don't have a lot of certainty anymore. Like all I can tell you is it shit is so mysterious. It's, it's so mysterious, you know, everyone's like, you know, says things like, well, everything's been figured out. The science of everything is settled. No, it isn't. You know, nobody knows what gravity is. Nobody knows what it is. We don't even know who we are. It's just so mysterious. And this weird experience of like feeling connected to everything. Like you are everything. Like what the hell? That's beautiful. So in some ways, you know, I resonate with what you're saying is because the world does feel different and I don't, I don't have any answers anymore. Like I just don't even, you know, even making this film, I have to really check, check myself and say, like, do I have the answers here? No, but I'm going to just go and ask a lot of questions of a lot of people. And I know there's a pattern here. And if I can get that pattern on screen, I think it's really going to help. But you know, I don't know There's so much that I thought I knew. You know, there was so much, uh, profound arrogance and now I'm just like, man, I don't know. And now that I don't know, it's like way better, way better. You know, if that makes sense. 
That makes total sense. Yeah, there's um there's a lot of um forward thinkers in the in the arena of domestic abuse or or verbal violence, blackmail, whatever, um, who share the thought that we aren't all living in the same reality. There are people who abuse others and they're in one reality. There are people who are victims of abuse and you're there in another reality. And there's all these levels of reality. And that's why it's so difficult to communicate in a way that gives an understanding to everyone because we're not, we're just not all on the same timeline in a sense. Right. Right. right? Yeah. It is weird. It's so interesting. I was thinking as you're saying that, like when you, when you, when you think about the way people who are serial abusers, you know, think it's really, really different. And look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not making this film for them. I mean, I don't care, whatever I'm making, I'm making this film for the people that have been affected by this and, and maybe they don't know what this is. And I think this will help them see what this is. So it's not, it's not for everybody. As you said, there's different realities. If, if, a, if a malignant narcissist saw the film that I have in my mind when it's finally out there, that they'd be like, ugh, these people are just like suffering about nothing. You know, that's not how it works, blah, 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 blah. And yeah, they're very different. But it's so interesting because I was so angry that they existed you know, in 2017, when I finally started to wake up, I was so angry that they existed. And now it's more just like, well, they exist. You know, can't do anything about that. But maybe my friends and I can do something about the people that are hurt and are hurting. You know? Well, that's what Dr. Uh, Romani uh, says. And I think you're going to be speaking to her in, in, in the documentary in one of her books. It's like, you know the Pandora's boxes here has been opened. They're not going back into the box and society is on a, on a way where this is only going to be a little bit more prevalent. The the best thing we can yeah. do is teach prevention as far right. as, or, or, or knowledge early on. So right. people don't, you know, they know what to do and, and go yeah. and you're part of that process. Yeah. No, and it's very exciting. In fact, I've actually referred a lot of people to her YouTube videos, and they've all called me and said, oh, my God, she's incredible. I'm like, yeah, she's incredible. Um, and look, I think that – I know the word gets used. I know the word narcissism gets thrown around a lot, but there are some beautiful resources out there now. you know. And I've heard, by the way, that your show has grown very fast. I've well, heard. we're a uh, – what's it? Three years uh, in – and I, I, right now it's picking up a lot more steam. Everything, we're, I mean, we're a pretty grassroots show, uh, but now it's, it's getting pretty, like every month it's, it's getting uh, much bigger. So, so uh, I, I guess one last thing, Vienna, before we end off, do you have any last questions uh, for Mark? No questions, but just in typical me fashion, I wanted to, um, I, I poked around in your natal chart oh. a little bit, oh. Mark. Just, just because you're, uh, I don't have the, your time of birth. So this is a, this is a huge problem. I have never been able to find my time of birth, which is why I've never had a completely oh. accurate chart. And I have a bunch uh -huh. of paperwork that I brought back from the U S um, to Portugal. Cause I'm going to scour through it and see if it's written anywhere. Cause my mother doesn't remember. Does she doesn't mother? remember. She doesn't remember. That's unbelievable. I know. I know. <laughs> But you're what you're one of uh, a lot of kids. No, no, is no, that only right? child. 
And she doesn't remember. I know. Well, I was a Caesar. It was a, it was a very rough birth, and eventually, uh, so eventually, I was okay. a Caesar, and I think she was drugged up or something. I just know I was okay. born in the, in in the um, what was back then the Johannesburg Hospital, which I don't think exists mm-hmm. anymore, but it was it was in Johannesburg. So that's where I was born, and I thought it was sometime in the early morning. But then when I asked her more, she's like, I don't know. I think I was drugged. Okay. Well, there are things that we can mm. see without the time. Mm. And I was, um, I was, I was just looking through some of your tr- some of your transits, and there's one that stood out. I just wanted to read it to you. Please. That's okay. All right. So you have a Saturn opposition Pluto, and basically what that shows is that. You could be victimized by others in their quest for power. Hmm. You could become involved in enterprises that are best questionable and at worst, potentially dangerous. You must examine each of your associates thoroughly to protect your own interest. Someone may offer you material benefits that are unrealistic or extreme. So you must be suspicious of anything that seems too good to be true. Where were you 25 years ago? <laughs> 25 years ago, you said, listen, I just want to read you something. Just do it. Before you embark on all these different things you're going to do and you explore, you know. But God. I'm going to tell you one, I'm going to tell you one thing, though. Even if you heard it back then, yeah. would you have listened? It wouldn't no. matter. It no. wouldn't make a difference. No. You have so many interesting things in your chart about being involved in uh, l- like large-scale enterprises with people who are maneuvering around you in ways that are not beneficial to you. That is interesting. I, I, mean, I will tell you the last few years have been – it's been insane, the amount of, of uh, you know, people that have been maneuvering around, the, the, the amount of hatred. I mean, look, the, the, lo- the people that are still loyal to hate me. They hate me. It's like their full-time mission to hate me. So, yeah, there's a lot of weird maneuvering that I think is still going on. But it's all for it, – it all, in the end, is for your benefit because you you also have this unique thing in your chart about uh, using this experience to enlighten others. And I think that's exactly what you're so doing. interesting. That is how it feels. Like, it, you know what it feels like? It feels like I, I, I feel the, the pain and I go, I, re, I don't want other people to get hurt in this way. And that's this thing I think about. And I go, well, what if I did this? And what if I did that? And, you know, what if I made a film about something, you know? So that's kind of what happens with me. Yeah, I think it's um, it's a tall order to not have other people no, feel course, that pain. No. But it's delusional, in fact. It's delusional. Yeah, <laughs> but there's something to be said about... Um, Helping them navigate it on the on the other side. Yes. So it's not no, so exactly big. exactly. I think it's the thing of like, I think the worst thing you can do to somebody is 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 to hijack their relationship with the deepest part of themselves. And I know I'm speaking in dualistic terms because it's not really that way. But but it but people put a wedge between the the person's you know cognition and their true self. And that hijacking is the worst thing you can do to somebody. And the spiritual rape, you know, some people have said to me that spiritual rape is worse than, worse than physical rape because mm-hmm. spiritual rape is, is, is your very, is your very essence, you know, is deeper than your body. I don't know because I've not had that experience. And I can't imagine what it's like, but spiritual rape, I do know. 
that hijacking is the worst thing you can do to somebody. And so I feel this compulsion. If I can try to either stop the hijacking before it happens or show them things that may help them get out of the prison that, that, that I was in, that would be good. You know? Mm-hmm. Tall order. And, you know, like I said, I might just be completely delusional in my desires. But you know what? I feel good about what I'm doing right now. I really do. And, you know, this is your journey. And with what Vienna said, it seems like you are actually on, you, you, you are exactly where you're supposed to be. And to remember that, that, you know, you are where you're supposed to be and you're doing even no matter what happens, you're doing good and you're feeling good about what you're doing. And that is what's important, uh, you know, to move forward and, you know, whatever you, whatever you've been through is difficult to wrap your brain around and, and to move forward. And you're at that place and you're here to help other people. And now I hope that other people help you. And when it comes to being in your documentary, you know, people can go to, uh, Mark Vicente, uh, com slash your story. And what other things are kind of going on before we uh, close down this episode? Well, I mean, we have an aim to be out, you know, next year. We, we're, you know, in the middle of shooting a bunch of stuff. I'll be shooting, you know, uh, this month, next month, December. Um, it'll be some at some point next year. Um, and I think, you know, we, we're going to probably come up with a pretty unique release strategy. I mean, you know, what to bleep. We had a lot of crazy ideas that worked very well. I think we'll do some similar things again. Really want to um, connect with a community of people and... My belief and my hope is that that people will take something like this and really take it on as their own as well and want to share it with other people. The same way that, for instance, when I've seen YouTube videos or read a book, I just want to share it. I think this. I think something similar will happen. I hope that happens. Um, you know, and while we're you know busy cutting that, I also have a bunch of other projects that I'm trying to move forward as well. You know, in the sort of sci-fi realm as well, um, a number of narrative projects. So there's a lot of interesting things that are. Um, in the pipeline. But right now this is, you know, this is my big focus. Well, Mark, I want to thank you for being on our show today in Vienna. I want to thank you for being on the show today, Mark. Honestly, it's, it was a pleasure talking to you. You gave a wealth of information for people to digest what you went through is difficult and our community is here and they understand exactly what you went through. So you're not alone in this and you know, we're all here for you. We're, you're a friend of our show. We hope you come back and um, you're, you're welcome. Um, And by the way, um, and thank you for what you're doing and, and, and Vienna, thank you also for the, uh, for reading me those things. I fascinating. I'd never heard those before. Completely fascinating. (laughs) There's a wealth of those. I'm sure there is. <laughs> I'm sure there is. Awesome. She, she gets you. She'll get you every single time. Uh, so thank you so much. And from myself, uh, Mark, in Vienna, everyone who's listening, we hope you have a good night. <laughs>